The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. It's good to see all of you today. If you have your Bibles, turn to um, Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. And we're getting to a text today that I have never taught before. Oh, good for you. (laughs) It has been a challenge, man, to dig into this word, but the Lord has a word for us, and some of you may be here, you may have come, and you may be a little down, and you're like, man, I'm struggling, like I really don't want to learn about Revelation, I I need something to really help me out as I'm trying to navigate through some difficult stuff. Well, the good news is Revelation was written specifically for that situation right there. The church was going through some very difficult stuff, man, and they were trying to navigate through how to live their faith out in very hard times. And so God gives John the Revelator um, this vision, and a lot of it is obviously it's all applicable to them the the day they received it, and it's applicable throughout um, the church age. And so as we read and and discover today the book of, uh, or the chapter 11, we come to this uh, passage, it's known as the the two witnesses, okay? And so I brought the whiteboard back up for a couple of reasons, and um, as I work through it, um, it helps me slow down. I, I tend to, if I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of information, I can run through it real fast. And so if I have to write it down, maybe it helps you to absorb it a little bit better, uh, and, and hopefully I don't get uh, confused or confuse you. But we looked last week, we had this very encouraging word uh, that the Lord uh, gave to us about how there was a book and how the, it was the Word of God, man. That's what sustains us. That's what carries us. And as we consume it and make it a part of our lives, it comes out of us. And we share it with those um, involved around us. And so John is called to go and eat the book, and then he's told to proclaim to all the nations. And so it's kind of a, a calling on John's life for even what he's writing in the book of Revelation that he is going to engage in a prophetic ministry. And certainly John's prophetic ministry is one in which he is um, prophesying a lot of things that are going to happen in the end times. But the word prophecy, or uh, when we think in terms of a prophet, it doesn't always mean um, that we're foretelling the future. And so in the case of what I'm doing today, as I teach through uh, chapter 11, I'm not foretelling, I'm, I'm just proclaiming what has already been told. And so I'm not a prophet in the sense that I would come and prophesy over your life the things that you need to do, and I would hear from God and tell you that. You don't need me to do that. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and through the power of the Word and the power of prayer and the illumination of, of the Spirit and the gift of discernment, you're able to recognize what the Lord wants you to do and walk out that obedience in your life. My job is to proclaim the truth to you, and hopefully through the foolishness of preaching, you pick up some things along the way that help you to navigate through the things that the Lord is calling you into in obedience. And so as we look today, I'm going to take some time to explain some of this, but it is a hard chapter in the Bible, if not one of the most difficult to interpret in all of Scripture. So let's, let's jump in. I see Abe in the back. I, he's, I think he's praying for me. <laughs> and the hues are trying to throw me off. They've moved from this side to that side. But I've got to, I'm getting my equilibrium down. Here we go. And those of you online, y'all are doing great. 
because I can't tell what you're doing. Uh, so it says, uh, I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers. But exclude the outer court, do not measure it, because it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will trample on the holy city for 42 months. And I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, Fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them, and, and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on earth. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed, and 7,000 people um, were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming soon. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there was loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and the one who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. This is very interesting in this part right here. Oftentimes the Bible, even in Revelation, it talks about Jesus and it says the one who is, who was, and is to come. But this time it says the one who is, who was, and now he's come. And so we have a context here where we can see that Jesus is actually beginning, like this is right at the point where he is going to begin his reign. And it says, um, the nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was open, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant, and there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and and an earthquake and a severe hailstorm. 
All right, so here we go. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this word. Thank you for um, inviting me in to preach the gospel. And Lord, I pray that as I begin to explain this word, that you would be glorified. I pray that, Lord, our minds would be illuminated. It's a hard text. It's a hard text for me to work through. And I know it would be a hard text for people to receive. But nothing is impossible, Lord, with you. And so in faith, believing as we proclaim what you have said, this book, when it is proclaimed and when people receive it and they walk it out, Lord, that you bless both the one proclaiming and those receiving. And so we pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and that we walk out the obedience that you call us through today. We know we're living in difficult times that are really confusing for us, and we find encouragement, Lord, to know that during the time of the church in her infancy, Lord, she was living in confusing times, and you established her, and you gave a word to the Apostle John that we might learn from, and so today we pray that you would help us do that, and we ask it in the powerful name of Christ, and amen. Okay, so by way of review... Before I get into the explanation of all, like there is a lot going on in this text. And so I kind of want to go back for those of you who may have not been here uh, during the time that I was, I was teaching on sort of the way, that, the different ways that you can approach um, apocalyptic literature and the end times. And so there is um, the dispensational uh, premillennialism, which sort of has Israel and the church age going on, and then there's a tribulation, and right before that tribulation, or in the middle of that tribulation, or at the end of that tribulation, and there are groups that fall all in line there, the church will be raptured out, and so there's no church on earth during this period of time, um, and God is moving, and the evil is allowed to, to sort of uh, be unleashed on the earth, and then Jesus returns, and the millennium sets in, and we have a final judgment. Historic premillennialism is, much, is very similar, except it just has the church age, then the tribulation, the second coming of Christ, and the millennium. All right? In an amillennialist viewpoint that would interpret most of the symbology as symbology, and not, as, not literal and symbolic, which tends to happen over here, they see concurrently running is the church age, the tribulation period, and the millennium, the reign of Christ in the hearts of men. So all of this is going on simultaneously, and then Jesus returns, judgment happens, and eternity is set in motion. And postmillennialism sees the church age, then it gets really dark, and then um, the millennium is about the, the world becoming better and better and better. Um, until the return of Christ. They usher in the reign of Christ. And that one kind of was getting a lot of popularity until the great wars of the last century broke out. And then it was like, things aren't getting as good as we thought they were. And certainly in our life, we know that things are getting good and advancement in the quality of life that we can do things in our knowledge. But everything else seems pretty chaotic, right? So it doesn't seem to be getting better in the moral center, our moral compass, and how we walk out um, just a, a morality apart from Christianity. It, things don't appear to be getting better. And so uh, I kind of, as I told you, I kind of have an eclectic approach where I kind of borrow from these things because I don't have certainty on any of them. 
Some people have been able to land and have certainty, and I kind of bounce around really in these three right here, okay? So that's important, because as I teach you, I want you to know that, hey, listen, you, you can be down here, and I'm not going to say you're wrong. You can be over here, and you're not going to say you're wrong. But you better not tell me I'm wrong either. <laughs> it's uh, kind of where I want to land. I want to explain, hey, man, there's, there's room for interpretation in this. So that's important, okay? Now, when we come to the passage that we're dealing with today, yeah, I'm going to give you the dispensational premillennialism view. This is going to be literal. I'm going to give you the amillennialist perspective or kind of an eclectic view like I have that's going to be figurative, and then we're going to kind of make some application. Now, here's what's really interesting. As we look at Revelation chapter 11, we see a pattern. And the pattern is found in the Old Testament two times and the New Testament two times. Um, the first one in the Old Testament is when Israel was in bondage to Egypt. They were in slavery. And so we see a pattern in, them, in the Exodus. There are the plagues, and Moses leads them out. And so they, um, they appear to uh, turn into a nation, they appear to be crushed, and they're, they're delivered, and they enter into the promised land. Then we get, um, they walk in disobedience, they do not observe the law, and all that God had given them, and there were consequences for that, and the Lord told them there would be consequences for that. So they go into what is known as the Babylonian captivity. They go from a nation of freedom to being once again a nation in bondage. And the Babylonians carry them away, there's a remnant that stays back in in Jerusalem, but for the most part, they don't have a government. They don't have uh, a religious system that is being observed. Uh, things, things have just fallen apart for them, and they go into Babylonian captivity, and uh, they are able to be released after about 70 years, but we see that, again, a pattern of this happening. The next time we see it is on the cross. Jesus comes. He spends three about three, three and a half years of ministry, which equates to the 42 months. We see this happening uh, over and over. Then it appears that he is defeated. He is placed in the tomb for three days, and then he rises from the dead, and then ultimately he sends the Holy Spirit back. And so we see a lot of uh, the pattern that's working through for us in the church age that I believe that some of this, will, this pattern will repeat itself once again. And so let's talk through some of uh, the symbology here, and hopefully I can get it all down. The first thing we look at is it says that, hey, man, John says, I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and I was told to go and measure the temple. So the first thing that we, we make an observation about is the temple, all right? That's the first thing that's mentioned. From a figurative standpoint, when you make an interpretation on this text, this is the people of God, which makes good sense to me. Because what are we known as after the resurrection? The Ark of the Covenant is no more. The body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so the temple of God, we are the temple of God as we represent the body of Christ. In a literal interpretation, this is the actual rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem, on the Dome of the Rock where it sits today, okay? 
And there is even a belief that there will be a reinstitution of the sacrificial system by the Jewish people, okay? So that's, that's kind of where we're at. It's like these are, these are how you approach this text. It means one of these uh, two things, and there could be some parallel going on there. The second thing that I would point out is about the, the there's a court of Gentiles, the, ex, the outer court. Um, we call the outer court is excluded. I don't have enough room, so I'll just put excluded for abbreviating there. And so what is that about? Well, for a figurative interpretation, the church... So measure the church, and, and you, you, you measure the temple, the people of God, and there is an outer part that is excluded. And so this would, uh, the interpretation would be there is a, there's spiritual protection. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can, nothing can harm us. But when it excludes, it doesn't necessarily mean... Um, physical protection. We could suffer during this experience. So it's physical, but not necessarily everybody will be guaranteed protection from physical or, or spiritual. They're guaranteed spiritual protection, not necessarily physical protection. Um, for the um, literal person, these are people I'll try to draw some lines here for you. These are people who are close to God, but not actually disciples of Christ. So the wheat grows up with the tares, right? That maybe everybody is in here as a disciple of the Lord. Maybe they're not. I don't know. Um, you can't have confidence as to whether or not you know the Lord or not. But it's possible that you could be under the sound of the gospel. You could be hearing the gospel and you not know the Lord. And so a literal per literalist would say, look, man, th these are people who are close, even potentially Jewish people who are close, but they aren't actually believers. And then we have 42 months. For 42 months, this goes on. All right, so for the uh, figurative, this is a short time. Oops, short time. For the literal, this is 42 months. Y'all got that one? That one's easy. <laughs> okay, all right, so then we get uh, to two witnesses. All right, so there's two witnesses that are described. What is this about? This is where it gets interesting. We got two witnesses. For the figurative, this is the church. For the literal, two prophets slash preachers. Individuals. These are individuals. All right, so these are actually two people. This is corporate. And it would be symbolic of the church. You and I, if we were living in the end times right now, and Jesus were close to coming back, these two witnesses would be us. All right? 
Then we have the uh, fire coming out of their mouths, all right? I hope I don't run out of whiteboard. Fire from their mouths. Jonah, you getting all this? All right, good. You're grounded if you don't. <laughs> all right, so um, the fire out of their mouths are, um, this is, for the figurative, this is the word of truth. And this makes good sense because if you think about when we were talking about the unleashing of the locusts and the evil and they had the mouths and out of their mouths was coming something like sulfur and brimstone. It wasn't described the same way. And then we know out of Jesus's mouth is a flaming sword and it is the word. It is the truth of the word that's coming out. And so the figurative sees this is the word of truth. The literal sees this as these two dudes, they have miraculous power. And they are able to call down fire. All right, we only have a few more. Then we have the beast that overpowers. And this is, um, this is either like Satan or satanic control of a person that is leading and so it appears to defeat the church and over here it actually kills the two prophets so they have a ministry for a short period of time. They're proclaiming, and then they are actually killed, okay? And then we have um, their, their bodies lie on the street. And this is the church... goes underground. There are many places in the world today where the church is underground. They cannot meet publicly like we do. And so the church appears to be defeated, okay? Over here, two dead bodies lie in public for three days. Some believe it. you can see broadcast over the internet, the whole world will see it, and they'll have a satanic Christmas, they'll be giving gifts out because these guys are dead, that we're proclaiming the truth. Over here, it's the church goes underground, and the, the world is rejoicing because the church no longer has the influence that it has. And so there, there's a lot of corruption that goes on. And then breath enters. And when the breath enters, um, this is symbolic of God preserves the remnant and they are victorious at his return. Over here, 
two dead prophets are resurrected. Then the world sees it. They come to life and they rise from the dead. And then we have in verse 13 an earthquake. After all this goes down, there's an earthquake. And that is, for the figurative interpretation, is God vindicates believers. Remember the believers in the, uh, the, the martyrs under the altar, they're crying out, how long, Lord, until you will vindicate us? And so they're... The, the earthquake is about God beginning the vindication. And this um, unbelievers, because they say, man, that people, that, that there are 7,000 people who die. Again, the, the figurative person wouldn't say that's literally 7,000. It's a lot of people is what they're saying. And they're saying when that happens, the world looks and they recognize it's the power of God. But going back to Pharaoh, Pharaoh recognized when they were in bondage in Egypt and God <clears throat> was allowing Moses to issue all of these um, uh, plagues, Pharaoh's heart did what? It just kept getting harder and harder and harder. So even though unbelievers, they uh, attribute the power to God, their hearts are hard. Hearts just get harder. And over here, the Jewish people, the way that it's interpreted figured, or literally is the Jewish people witnessed this in this earthquake, and they have a revival, revival, and belief in Christ. I know this is slow. Just hold on, everybody. It's a lot to get in there, man. We're way down in there today, bro. We're way down in there. All right, and so, so there's a revival that takes place. Um, and then we have verses 15 through 19. Th this is pretty cool. This starts talking about, um, you know, the, the Ark of the Covenant is seen in heaven, and it's basically describing the re actual return of Christ. And this always confuses me about Revelation. I'd read Revelation, I'd be like, what is, what is going on here? But what's happening is, and you can see this, and this really helped me as I worked through the minor prophets too, is there's a pattern where they, these guys will write, and, and they don't write like we do. When we write a book, we go start, middle, you know, we're going through the whole plot and everything, climax, in. These guys write, they give you a summary, and then they start back over and give you more detail, and it just keeps getting a little bit deeper and deeper. And so right now, um, in 15 through 19, in both places, both of these uh, groups would see this as the return of Christ. And then when we get to chapter 12 um, and following, we get down to in more detail how all this plays out. And so we'll get a little bit deeper and deeper uh, on a slower basis. And so this is basically... Um, this is basically how, you know, you can kind of look at this and go, all right, what, what do I believe is going to happen? What makes the most sense to me? 
And then, so we look at that, we go, all right, that's great. Glad I came to church. I got a little bit of uh, understanding how this thing goes down. What does it mean for me? Well, there are some takeaways, okay? There are some takeaways that I think are very important, and we'll bring them back together here in a minute. And here's, here's the first one, is that the Lord, over and over, measures who he owns, that's what the measurement is about. Jesus, it says that Jesus had no possessions. He had no place um, to um, lay his head. But in the Gospel of John, he says that to his, uh, his followers, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will take um, um, what is mine and make it known to you. So what is it that belongs to the Lord? It is people. Right now, that's all that it is, is people. Ultimately, the book of Revelation is about Jesus taking the earth back. Right now, Jesus has paid for the earth. He has paid for creation. Obviously, it's his, but it's fallen. It's corrupt. And so in order for it to be received back to him, um, he has to redeem it. And so he spiritually has, and physically in the future, he will reclaim it for his own, and he will rule the earth once again. Right now, he rules spiritually. And so what he owns right now, um, as his possessions that are redeemed, are people who have received forgiveness of their sins. They have uh, called upon the name of the Lord. They have been saved, and the blood of Christ covers their sins. They are owned by the Lord. And so when John is told to measure the temple, he is being told to measure out and see and communicate to the church who's going through this awful time of persecution as Rome is oppressing them, as the Jewish people are oppressing them, and as even they will be oppressed in the future prior to my return, let them know I know who, they, who, who belongs to me. And it's sort of like the ceiling of the 144,000. There's a lot of pictures of dark stuff. There's a lot of stuff that we go, man, that's unnerving. But the Lord is saying to us, I know who's mine. You guys don't have to worry. It's okay. It doesn't matter what you face or how bad or how dark it gets. I've got a measuring line and my measuring rod is my word as it comes forth through my prophets and you respond to it. And why is it the word? Because the word testifies of, of Jesus. Jesus is the logos. He is the living word of God. And so as we follow um, the word of God and we respect the word of God, we receive the word of God, we receive it as who it teaches us that Jesus is and our sins are forgiven and we're covered by the blood of the lamb. Whenever judgment falls on the earth, just like in Egypt, uh, when judgment fell and the blood was over the uh, door frames of, of the homes, the Lord passed over them. They were covered by the blood. And so the Lord is saying, I know who is covered by the blood. I know who belongs to me and you don't need to be worried. And so we are measured uh, by that because it teaches us about the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is why there is such an attack on the word today. This is why there's such an attack to say, man, the word cannot be trusted. It is inaccurate. You will see more people who are unbelievers whose hearts have begun the hardening process say that I, I can't believe in a book that was written by a group of men. Okay. They will be measured by those comments. And people who do believe in it and have applied their faith in Christ also too will be measured. And that's what John is portraying in this symbology. Here's the second thing. The church serves as a prophetic community. Now, who are these two guys? All right. Well, over here, there, there, there's no certainty, okay? 
People say, well, it could be Enoch and it could be Elijah because neither one of them in the Old Testament died. It could be Moses and it could be Elijah because Elijah had the ability to, when he prayed, it quit raining. He could call fire down from heaven. And Moses, through the plagues that um, he instituted during the release of, of the Egyptian or the Israelites from Egypt, the Nile was turned into blood. And so they say this, is, this could be Moses and Elijah, but there's no way to know for certainty. Without question, though, these, these, these two witnesses, if it plays out this way, they come in the spirit of Moses and Elijah. Over here, the church, <clears throat> sir, like the church is coming in the spirit of Moses and Elijah. And so we serve as a prophetic community. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm prophesying to you about what has already been revealed, and I'm trying to equip you to help you have an understanding of what's happening in the world around us. Now, the church sort of has gotten into this place, this murky place, and I pray that she comes out, okay? I pray that she comes out of this place where we've gotten too absorbed in self-help and we're not teaching God's people how to think like God wants them to think. Because when things get really bad and hearts start hardening up, people who are confused and don't have a firm faith are not going to make it. They're going to be on the outer court if this place is the way it is. They're going to be close to God, but they're not going to actually know God. And so the church, men, the preachers of the gospel have got to get back to preaching and teaching God's people of the word and not trying to teach them, this is how you be a great parent, or this is how you be a great husband or a great, um, you know, worker or whatever. Listen, if you will bow the knee to Jesus, you will be great at all those things. And so that's what we got to know how to do. And the way that the reason that we have the book of Revelation is because it calls us to that. It calls us as kids to go, man, I need to be honoring my parent. I belong to the Lord, man, and I need to honor them because this is what the Bible calls me to do. And it brings clarity to my mind um, when I walk out the obedience that the Lord has for me. And so what do we do as prophets, um, as a prophetic community? We correct and we direct by our testimony. So people look at our lives, and as they watch me live, it's not that I go and I preach at you, which I do to you guys every week, but y'all come for it, right? I don't go to my friends and say, I want you to sit down. I'm going to tell you what I taught the congregation last week. That's not how relationship works and how the gospel travels. What happens is they're watching my life, and they're seeing the testimony of Jesus lived out. And they can gain correction and direction from that. They can become inquisitive. And, and, and hopefully that I can build a deeper relationship with some and I can start a discipling journey with some folks because I'm relationally invested in them. But it doesn't matter if I am or not. It doesn't matter if I know them very well. As soon as they watch me and interact with me, they ought to be interacting with Christ because I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am one of the people of God. He lives in me and they ought to be interacting with Jesus at some level because I belong to Jesus. I've been measured, okay? That's the way it's supposed to happen for all of us. You've been measured, and you follow and walk out in your obedience to Christ, and as you're walking out, your children will be correct, <clears throat> corrected and directed, okay? One of the worst things that you can do as a parent who is a, a believer in Christ, I'm going to be careful how I word this, okay? You can cause a great deal of damage to your children as a, as a parent who wants to teach them Bible studies and say, let's do a devotion. But when they look at your life, it doesn't look like a devotional life. 
And so sometimes we want to go, let's sit down on Monday nights and read the Bible. But then we forget about Jesus the rest of the week, and that's what the kids are reading. Now, it's great if we read the Bible on Monday nights, and then our devotional time and what we look like reflects Christ as well. That, that would be a bonus. That would be, you know, that would be incredible if you do both. But don't just do one and think, well, to be a Christian parent means that I set aside a time of the week to read the Bible with my kids. No, to be a Christian parent means you follow Jesus. And your, your kids look at you and go, my, my dad follows Jesus. It's clear. There's no question. He, he bends the knee to Jesus. My mom loves Jesus. She loves his church. She loves the body. She loves everything about Jesus. And, and, and that's what I see. And that's what I want my life to look like. And so that's the important thing. And we correct and we direct. We don't have to overcomplicate this thing. As long as we're following Jesus, our kids are going to see that and they're going to learn from it. And if we aren't following Jesus, they're going to see that and they're not going to like it. It's going to be weird to them. And so, so be reminded of that. <clears throat> now, here's what's in interesting. The word power in verse 6, one of the Greek words for power is dunamis. And it means like it's where we get our word dynamite, a powerful impact. But this word that is used two times in verse 6 is the word excusia. And it means power of authority and right. Okay, so it would be power of influence, and power of privilege. And so the darker the world gets, the greater the hostility toward the Lord's prophetic community will be. When it says these two prophets, and like there's this, this equating, so if we go over here on this side, and these two prophets, they look like they, they're related to Moses and Elijah in some way. What does Moses and Elijah represent? The law and the prophets, okay? Jesus, they asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He said, the, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law, all of what Moses taught you, and all of what the prophets prophesied, hang on this one thing. And so Moses and Elijah can be symbolic of all the law and all the prophets. What does Paul teach us? The law now has been written on our hearts. It's not something we do externally. It's something that has transformed us internally. And as we walk that out, we are serving as a prophetic community that walks and fire comes out of our mouth, the fire that comes out of the mouth of Christ, which is the word of God. And anybody who resists it will be destroyed by it. And so this makes a lot more sense to me than, and again, I'm not saying that, it, that all things are possible with God, but as I try to digest this, this makes sense to me, okay? It makes sense to me that, that man, as I walk this out, the fire that's coming out of that prophetic voice is coming from the church, and people are going to become more and more hostile toward, toward it. That is what we are living in right now. The world is becoming more and more hostile to the things that the church proclaims as truth. And the closer we get to the return of Christ, the darker the world will become, hearts will get harder and harder, and things will be get, get more and more difficult. And so will, will literal fire come out of our mouths to, or somebody's mouth to destroy them? Well, we know that two apostles, when they were upset about what some people did in, at the time of walking with Jesus, the sons of thunder, James and John said, man, let us call down fire to destroy them. And Jesus said, no, that's not how my kingdom works. The fire is coming out of my mouth. 
And what is coming out of my mouth ultimately will destroy a person who rejects it. And they reject the truth. And so a person that is corrected and directed by the person who is walking in obedience to Christ and they they see the testimony of Jesus in a person's life and they come to face with it and they reject it, ultimately, spiritually, it will destroy them. And when they are resurrected in the end, they will eternally be separated from the Lord. So how we're living right now is so vitally important. It's so vitally important as we influence the people around us. So the church, you... (laughs) are a prophetic community. So you need to go out and get a man, man. And I'm a prophet. Now, hopefully the Lord doesn't ask us to wear sackcloth, but that's what you are. Here's the, here's the third thing. Obedient servants are immortal until our work is done. We're immortal. Nothing can happen to us until our work is done if we are walking in obedience. If we are walking in disobedience, that is not the case. And so nothing, you see, nothing could harm these two prophets until it says they had finished their testimony. Nothing can happen to me until, like, I finish my work. As people all the time say, oh, well, you, you know, something may happen to you. I told a guy last night, he, he said uh, something about, uh, I don't remember exactly what the context was, but it was about me dying. I looked at him and said, I'm ready. I'm ready to go right now, bro. Like, I'm okay. I feel like my work is, if, if the Lord calls me home tonight, he's done with me, and I'm good with that. If the Lord doesn't call me home for another 20 years, I'm good with that, you know? It doesn't matter. And so, like, we need to live life not in fear of all of the darkness and the chaos that's going around us, because over and over in Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, nothing can harm one of God's chosen servants until God is ready to bring that person home. And so we do not need to be the kind of people who are living in constant fear of what may happen to us. Will we die? Yes, we will die. When will we die? If we're walking in obedience, we will die when our work is done and not a day before. And that's good news, man. That, that helps me sometimes when I get a little boogered up about things, what, how they're going. I get worked up or I get some news. I just have to take a breath and go, wait a minute, man. I belong to the Lord. He knows exactly how many days um, I'm going to live, and I don't need to live in fear of this. And so nothing can harm us until the Lord is finished with us. Now, here's, here's the big idea, and I'm going to share some more scripture with you that's going to put this all together. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Write that down in your notes. Uh, Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I think this is so cool. The apostles, whenever they, the church started growing, man, it just started growing, growing, growing. And they said, we got to get some people to help us to deal with the, all these things that are happening, the needs of the people in this new community that God has created. And so they set aside um, leaders in the, in, in the church early on, men who were fill, full of the Holy Spirit, and they started managing some of these things, and they started spending all their time in the study of the Scriptures and prayer. And what were they studying? They weren't studying the New Testament. They were studying the Old Testament because they were going to be used to write the New Testament. It didn't exist. And I believe 
believe they were deep down in the minor prophets because the minor prophets prophesy and uh, Jeremiah and Isaiah and uh, Ezekiel, these dudes, Daniel, they prophesy about the coming of Christ, both his first and second coming. And so they're deep down in there, man, and they're exegeting or explaining the text to the people as God is revealing it to them and illuminating, kind of turning the lights on and helping them to understand it. And so as we go back to one of the Old Testament prophets that we learned about uh, about a year ago, listen to this, man. This is good, bro. See if this sounds familiar. Then the angel who talked with me, this is Zechariah chapter 4, returned and woke me up like someone awakened from a sleep, and he asked me, what do you see? And I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels in the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right and one bowl and another on its left. And I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And he answered, do you, know not, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was serving in the kingly, kingly function because they didn't have a king during this captivity time where they were going back. He was the governor. He was fulfilling the role of the king. He said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but my, by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become level ground, then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. The capstone is the last part, right? That's when the project is finished, and he's rebuilding the temple. And he says, then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple, and his hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. Then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and left of the lampstand? Again, I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? And he replied, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I said. So he said, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. Joshua, not the Joshua that was with Moses, but Joshua the high priest during this time, was, he was one of them, and Zerubbabel was the other. Joshua was the high priest, Zerubbabel was the king. And he's saying, these serve as my anointed before me, and they keep the oils burning in the temple. Ultimately, Jesus would come, and it is a prophecy about Jesus, who ultimately is the temple that they destroyed, that came back to life, and turns us into temples. Okay? And he says, and in, in Jesus, the prophet, the role of prophet, priest, and king are all merged into one. And then he does a work in the human. All right? So now we're in the Old Testament. Peter's reading the Old Testament. John's reading the Old Testament. God is rolling through them, man, and giving them a word as they're recording the New Testament. So we go back to the apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2. Listen to this. In light of all I've taught you. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house 
to be a holy priest offering a priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, She, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, <laughs> you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And you serve as a prophetic community in Johnson County and every other place your feet touch on this side of eternity. And so my encouragement to you today is to like go in grace and peace and know who your true identity is. Go and walk in that exclusion, that power and authority. Go and walk in that, that privilege, that authority and privilege, that influence and right that the Lord has put in you and watch what he does around you. I'm gonna ask you to bow and pray with me today. We're gonna take communion. And you wanna know what communion is about. It's about that right there. It's about all the Lord has changed you into as you go out and function as a royal priesthood until he returns to call us home. We are a prophetic community, and so as we observe these elements, let us remember that it was the cost of the crushing of the body of Christ and the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary in order to put us in this right standing with Jesus. And let us celebrate in grace and truth this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. It is so encouraging to us. Sometimes it feels like things all around us are spiraling out of control. And Lord, we, we need to be reminded. We need to look at the truth and see, Lord, you are fully aware of all that is going on. You are in sovereign control and you know who belongs to you. And we have the ability to walk, Lord, in power and authority and serve as a prophetic community of you, Jesus. Your testimony, which is the spirit of prophecy, Lord. We love you. We thank you as we observe these elements today. We pray that you would remind us of the great sacrifice you made on Calvary. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.